0: Good morning, morning. wonderful wonderful to see all of you here, our visitors in the audience, great to meet you, we look forward to speaking to you further after our worship services, so glad to have everyone here. We had our Lads to Leaders event over the weekend, and uh, we had a great time, saw a lot of old friends, uh, made some new friends, and uh, strengthened some of our friendships that are here. I wanted to uh, say, you know, we're going to have Lads to Leaders uh, next week. Uh, The students will bring in their work, and they'll have it displayed uh, in the foyer on tables, and you'll get to see some of what they have done, and maybe we'll have some of our speakers uh, get up here and give their speeches eventually as well. I do want to commend Brody and Ashley uh, for doing the great job that they did uh, leading the weekend. Uh, You know, I kind of helped them along, of course, but they took over and, and did a great job, did a great job leading the group and making sure kids were where they were supposed to be and Thanks to all the coaches who were there and throughout the year and did uh, all that you have done to ensure that our kids learned something over the year and so that it culminated up uh, into the weekend that it was uh, this past weekend. I also want to thank Ms. Rita and Ms. Brenda for uh, conducting the food in the hospitality room. It makes the weekend that much more enjoyable. And for all those who uh, made some goodies and brought it up, we thoroughly enjoyed all of them. Thank you so much. We've had a great weekend. And I've been looking forward to this Sunday all week long. I'm uh, getting into the groove. I'm trying on the wireless mic today. We'll see how this goes. It'll be my second Sunday speaking, and I was so excited about speaking to you today. Just couldn't wait. And uh, we're speaking on a topic that has been on my heart quite often. I've studied and read about it, and I hope you are encouraged, and I hope you're challenged this morning. Remember when you got in trouble with your parents, as a child, when you were young, you did something really bad, and your dad would bring you over to him and say, oh, that's okay, son, don't worry about it, or mom, if you broke her favorite plate, you know, she would, you know, pat you on the back, it's all right, son, it's all right, my little darling, not a problem at all, yeah, I don't remember that either, I got spanked all the time. I burned the house down nearly all, almost twice, uh, so scratch mom's car uh, with my motorcycle, you know, we got spanked, you know, that's what happened. But if you think hard, somewhere in there that did happen, because I've thought some about the retribution that I deserved from my parents, times that I did not get a spanking, times that I was not sent to my room but times when I was hugged and loved and explained to what happened and what went on. Ladies and gentlemen, we call that grace. We're not getting what we deserve. That's the best way to put it. Grace is when you don't get what you deserve. When you've done something wrong, when you've done something bad, horrible, sinful, spiteful even, and God still loves you. When your parents did extend that grace and didn't spank you, didn't send you to your room, didn't do any other normal you know, heinous things that could have been done to you that you did deserve, how did you feel? Probably felt a great deal of love for them. Probably felt like, man, i got to make this up to them. Felt as though you wanted to please them even more. What motivates you as a Christian? We like gifts, don't we? In Ephesians 2 and verse 8, calls grace a gift. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, was just making his claim as an apostle, but also proclaiming his lowly state as his past involved some horrible things, such as persecuting and killing Christians. And in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul, being the enemy of Christ, Saul at the time, being the enemy of Christ that he was, certainly deserved some things to happen to him. God's righteous indignation could have rained down upon him and wiped out that enemy of Christ. But instead, God said, you know what? I'm going I'm to take this evil man and I'm going to turn him into something good. And I'm going to turn him into something Powerful. and it was God's grace that did that and if there is something that we don't talk about enough today reflect upon harness speak to others about it's got to be grace sometimes grace is something we say before a meal we call it that but grace is something that God has given us grace is the gospel Grace is the good news. Or as I saw in a, a church van one afternoon, grace is the great news. I'm not sure good encompasses it enough. But rather, grace is the great news. We have faith, we believe, we live for Christ. That's what we do. Those are things that we have to do. But what does grace do? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7 says, So, did, so that in the ages to come... He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So we have God the Father, we have Christ the Son, and it is grace that reaches us. We have that faith, we have that belief, we live for Him, we sacrifice for Him. That goes back to as a savory, as a smelling aroma to Christ, to God in heaven. Those are things that we do, but it is God's grace the gift of grace that is extended to us. There are three kinds of people I'd like to talk about in regards to grace this morning. And you are one of these people. There are people who have it, but don't know it. They read about it. They know it's there. But I'm not entirely sure that they're utilizing it Kind of like the songbook in your pew or or up here if it's on the screen and, and you don't sing it. It's there, you believe in it, you hear the words, but you're really not involved with it at all. This can be looked at in a few different ways. One of those ways is scoreboard Christianity. Scoreboard Christianity turns the good news into bad news. Because someone is going to lose no matter how hard they try. But because of grace, you see, God has given that to us. He has extended it to us. And he says that there is no scoreboard anymore. These people sometimes who believe in the scoreboard Christianity, these people believe, sometimes it seems, at least through their actions, philosophies, how they speak to others, that God wants to send them to hell. He doesn't want to do that. He didn't send his son here so that you could go live somewhere else apart from him. That is not what he did. He sent Jesus so that he could save our souls, John 3, 16. God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God doesn't want to send you to hell. He doesn't want that to happen. Just as you as a parent, when your child does something wrong, you don't want to punish them. But it has to be done in the parenting world right now for sure. In scoreboard Christianity, you may be saying, I hope the Lord returns on one of my good days. Because you've got to stay ahead of the sin quota, you see. But if we believe in God, if we believe John 3:16, we believe that God will do what He says, of course. but also you've got to believe that He loves you and believe that He wants to save you, because First 1 John 1:7 1, talks about Christ cleansing blood. It cleanses us. Have you ever seen a pool, a fresh spring of water? There's one in Montgomery Bell State Park. Nathan and I, we camped there with some of the boys one night. Over by the over at the stream, it was cut off, and up from the ground was water just bubbling up, pure water. You could drink it straight out of it. You could wash with it. It was a beautiful sight. It tasted great. Christ's blood cleanses us like water washing over rocks, like water cleansing you after a hard day at work. Christ's blood does that very well same thing. The thing about it is, you can have a flashlight, right? You can have a flashlight and still trip up. You can still be walking somewhere, have a light, and be tripping up every now and then. You can still do that. And you do that in the spiritual sense because you're human. God's not keeping score. You shouldn't have to keep score either. Christianity, some people who have it and don't know it, believe that... It is a business transaction. Turn to Titus chapter 3, please. <clears throat> Titus chapter 3 beginning with verse 3. It's not that when Jesus paid it all on the cross, he didn't pay 50% and then you pay another 50. It's not even that you paid 90, he paid 90 and now you got to pay 10. Jesus, he paid it all so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could have this gift of grace that he has given us. Titus chapter 3 and verse 3. For we also, Paul tells Titus, once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Paul tells Titus, there was a time we were, we were all sinners Verse 4, but when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. We were sinners at one time, but Christ came and He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds, not on what you have done, not how many Good Samaritan points you've done, not how many prayers you've said, not how many songs you've seen, not your perfect attendance here. But God saved us, not on the basis of good deeds but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Christianity, this grace thing, is not a business transaction. We put ourselves through a great deal when we think we have to be perfect, when we think we have to get it just right all the time, every single day, and I was a, a, a camper at Fall Creek Falls Church camp back in the early '90s, and Matthew and I came across this verse, "Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect." That scared me, because I've been told all my life you can't be perfect. Some of us, as I did at the time, still do occasionally, had a perfection complex. It had to be just right. It had to be perfect. Some of you struggle with that. But as you learn and understand grace a little more, you know God loves you, not because of what you do, but because you're just simply you. Because you are who you are, God loves you. Matthew chapter 5, let's turn there. Matthew 5, beginning with verse 43. As is often the case in Scripture, when you find a verse that kind of confuses you, you've got to go around and read the rest of it. Matthew 5 and verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He causes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? It sounds here like perfection to God means loving those who are difficult to love. Loving those who some might seem as unlovable. Loving those, maybe yourself, because you feel like you've done so much, so wrong in so many ways, that nobody could love you. But here, God is saying, Jesus is saying in this passage, if you are going to be my disciple, you've got to love everybody. Therefore, he says in the last verse of that passage, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Love each other, he says in that passage. We try to put pressure on others to be perfect. And we expect sometimes for when they walk in this door that they have to be at the same spiritual level as, as you, for instance. Maybe you know you need to improve. You know, you're working on some things and that's fine. But let's say somebody comes in and they are they don't know the Bible as well as you do. They've not gone to church as long as you have. They don't understand things the way you do as, as And that means a lot, understanding Scripture. Don't get me wrong. But if you look down on somebody because they didn't go to church camp all their life or they hadn't been to a vacation Bible school in 10 years or they hadn't worshipped the way you have and yet they're coming here, why are you here? Is that your attitude? Or is it more like, hey, we are glad you're here? Because sometimes when you put that perfection, when you project it on yourself, it's one thing. But then when you try to project it onto others, it changes. It changes. And now they think that, well, where do I go then? If I've got to be perfect, why even try? Because sometimes we do project that onto other people. That when other people sin, sorry, hate your luck. You know, and we look down on them. Jesus said, don't kick them when they're down. Reach down and try to help them up, he says. Because this building, this congregation, you great people, you awesome people. We need, we need to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Because when people come here, they need to hear the good news of the saving grace of God. So many people think they're going to hell anyway because they don't know about grace and because they've had mama and daddy and brother and sister and co-workers and friends, people they thought was supposed to be there for them, already telling them where they're going. We need to show them, you know what? There's a path. There's a path to heaven. There's a path that's good news. And then begin with grace, rather than beginning with where they are and what has taken them to such a lowly point and making them feel even lower. This grace, unfortunate, this group rather, people who have it but don't know it, can be afraid of grace. Let's turn to Romans chapter 5, please. Romans chapter 5. A lot of times when we study Scripture, study a lot of things, we look at it as this way or that. You know, it's, it's baptism and it's nothing else. Well, it's baptism, guess what? And it's grace, and it's faith, and it's a lot of things. When you read Scripture, you got to take it all in and see what it says. I love cake, you know, I love desserts, and you do too, but you can't just have the flour. you got to put in the right kind of cocoa, the right amount of sugar, You got to have that icing just right, and it's good. Cake just isn't flour, although flourless cake is pretty good. But cake is a lot of different things, and salvation is a lot of things as well. Paul preached a lot. Timothy preached a lot, and we got to preach it all here as well. We can't be afraid of grace. Romans chapter five and verse one: Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace, because that's what grace gives you. Grace gives you peace that you don't have to live a perfect life. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. We can't be afraid of talking about grace. We must embrace it and show others the beautiful thing that it is. The next group, people who misuse Or don't fully understand grace. Does grace save all of us? It's a gift that is offered, that is extended, that is available to every person on planet earth. But does it save us all? Let's look at what the Bible says. Matthew chapter 7, please. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21 Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Not everyone who claims to be a Christian is going to go to heaven, Jesus is saying here. Many will say to me on that day, he says in verse 22, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't I go to church? Lord, didn't I do that? And in your name cast out demons. Didn't I take the Lord's Supper? Didn't I? Didn't I go to church camp? Didn't I go to vacation Bible school? And in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus doesn't want anyone to be lost. But he does want and require you to be a part of his body. He does want you to be added to the Lord's church as we read of in Acts chapter 2. There are things that must be done because you have a part in this too. Grace is something that God does for all of us. And His hand is outstretched and grace is found throughout these good pages. But you've got a part in this as well. We must never forget that. In the passage before this selection in Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, Jesus discusses the fruit of, that people bear. Matthew 7 and verse 19, he says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So here we have where we see that Jesus is showing others, is telling us today, that if you're not bearing good fruit, we read a few verses later, I'm not going to know you if you're not bearing that good fruit that I have asked you to bear for me. Galatians chapter 1, let's turn there. There are people who would say, well, everybody's going to heaven. Well, Matthew chapter 7, it just doesn't say that. What it does say is not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the the kingdom of heaven. Well, let's look on. Galatians chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before you, so again I say now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary... To what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? It would be real easy to start telling people a certain thing about the gospel, and you'd have a lot of followers. You'd be very pleasing to men. But here Paul is telling the Galatian church, am I to be seeking man's favor or God's favor? You know, it should be the the effort of a minister, of a speaker, of a preacher in the Lord's church, in, in any church that's out there, To try to tell people, you know, hey, this this is probably going to make you a little mad. This is going to maybe upset you a little bit, because you're not living how Scripture tells you to live. You're not living according to this passage. Now, the good book warns us against doing that, because God's the final judge, is He not? God is the final judge. But we've got to be those fruit inspectors. We've got to remind people about passages like Matthew chapter 7, and we've got to remind people about passages like, Galatians chapter 1, continuing in verse 10. Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. If a minister is trying to please men, he is not serving Christ. He is not saying what the Scripture says. He's saying what he says. He's saying what other people want him to say. He's saying what will you know, fill, the, fill the church pews. I would have to say Scripture teaches that there are men, there are people that are like that. And I want you to know that not everyone who has a Bible in his hand is preaching the truth. We must always be willing to look to Scripture, every one of us, and say, is what we are doing according to the will of God? Because that's the important thing. If we finish the answer to that question with, that's the way we've always done it. The way my daddy did it. The way my granddaddy did it. My grandmama. That's the wrong answer to that question. The right answer is, what does Scripture teach us? We must not pervert the Gospel and make it say something that it simply does not. Grace, as I've said before, is a gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 talk about this. Romans six twenty three says, say, For the wages of sin is death, but the thr- free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So grace is a gift that God has given us. And Romans six twenty three, talks about the wages of sin. In other words, Living in sin? You're going to get paid someday if you're living in sin. What are you going to get paid with? Romans 6, Paul tells the Roman congregation there, you're going to get paid in death. But if you follow God, you can have that eternal life. You can't expect grace to carry you on into eternity and not be living for God. This is a gift, as I've said, and you've got to do something to get this gift, and it's an important one. When I graduated college... I spent a month in Ukraine, and while I was there, I bought a pocket watch, I had probably one of the first pocket watches I'd ever seen in 1995, we just didn't have them. And I brought it over here, and on my flight back, I wrote a letter to my dad, telling him, you know, give this to my kids someday, Mason has it in his room right now. That's an important gift. A gift means something. And if I find that in a thrift shop someday, boy, you're going to hear about it. Because it's an important gift. It's a gift that means something to me. It goes on to my dad. It goes on to Mason. On to grandchildren. It's an heirloom. It's an important gift. Jesus gave his son, which gives us the gift of grace. Don't you think that's kind of important? Don't you think that's something that we ought to be taking notice of? The prodigal son, when he left his father... The father in the, in the story is wringing his hands, you know, looking for his boy. Where's my boy? Where's my boy? What the boy have to do? The boy finally had to come. The boy couldn't stay there, sit and sleep with the hogs and say, well, my father's going to take care of me. It's going to be all right. I'll expect a, you know, more payment, more money here any day now. That didn't happen. The boy had to go to his father and rejoin him. He had to go and be with him. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 20. We read here, Another passage, another parable about um, how people may misuse grace, may, use this, may misuse the gift of God. We read, of course, here about the laborers in the vineyard. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages beginning with the last group to the first. So this vineyard owner had called in workers. He called them in in the morning, promised them a wage, called them in in the afternoon, promised them a wage, called them in, last part of the day, promised them all the same wage. Verse 9, when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. Wow, those who, who started later in the day... They got the same thing I was promised, so maybe the landowner, maybe the vineyard owner is going to give us more. But each of them also received a denarius. Got the same thing. You ever work in a tobacco field? I have. That's what made me want to go to college. It's tough work. So I'm in the the fields working. Six o'clock, well, five o'clock, you get there early, so it's cool. My great uncle Roland paid me. Worked out in Laguardo doing it. Well, how would you think I would feel if some kid showed up at 3 o'clock last part of the day, did some work, got the same amount I did? That doesn't seem too fair, now does it? We're not talking about capitalism here. We're talking about spiritual warfare and the lives and souls of mankind. So it's a tad different. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner saying, These last men have worked only one hour. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden in the scorching heat of the day, they were not very happy with the landowner, and they complained to them. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing with you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Now, I am imagining these laborers, they are going, now they're, now they're mad. They got their denarius, and they're wondering, I didn't like that too much. So I'm going to go start me a business where everybody gets paid the same amount, you know, or gets paid more or less, working the way that they do. And I want to put this in a spiritual context. So you've got a group of people who say, well, if somebody can be saved this way or that way, I want to go preach that lesson. That's what I want to do. That you can do and live however you want, because somewhere, somehow, some way, that can happen and God can save you. That's part of that perversion of the gospel that I was talking about earlier. And I believe that some people today are upset with God, not wanting to, to spend and devote their life to something that, is important, their spiritual life. And so they labor and toil and and tell others just a small smidgen of the true and full gospel, and they're more like these laborers. How do you want to be saved? Titus 3 and verse 8 says this, This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things I want you to speak confidently so that those who believe God will be careful to engage in good deeds. I talked earlier about how Christianity was not a business transaction. I stopped at verse 7. Here we are now in verse 8, where Paul is telling Titus, those who have believed, I want them to be careful, to engage in good deeds. Some people may teach that grace is all you need. Well, As you read and study about grace, you'll find that there's more and more that may be required of you, that is required of you. Because Paul tells Titus, I want you to engage in good deeds. In 1 John 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, if we say that we have fellowship with him... And yet, walk in the darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth. This is people who misuse grace. They say, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm with God, but they're living and they're walking in darkness, as Paul warns against here in 1 John chapter 1. But if we walk in the light, he says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. You see, there's a, there's a, there's a line that's here. Just like there is in Matthew 25 where one group is on the left of God, one group is on the right. God is going to tell those on His left, I never knew you. And He's going to tell those on His right, come and be with me. And here we get a glimpse of that light. There are those people who say, I am close to God, I am there with Him. Yet they are walking in the darkness. Brother John says in 1 John chapter 1. There's a difference, you see. While grace is available and open to all people, you can't continue... In darkness you must walk in the light let's look at Romans chapter 5 and see a little more about how grace works Romans chapter 5 and verse 20 the law came in so that the transgression would increase but where sin increased grace abounded all the more that's a great verse Grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin is there, grace is going to take care of it. Well, there's a chapter 6 as well. Some would say the horse slipped here. That's an old preacher joke. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? so that grace may increase. You know, this sounds pretty good to a group of people that wants to live by the flesh and live by fleshly desires. Yeah, give me grace, and that, I'll be able to go to heaven. That's no problem, right? That's what Matthew or Romans 5 sounds like it's saying. But read on in chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. May we never continue in sin so that grace may continue to work more on us. It's like your child having a bucket of dirt beside them while you're giving them a bath, and they reach over and grab the dirt, dump it back on them. You're just going to wash me, right? They grab over, dirt on them, and you're still trying to wash them off. They just keep getting dirtier and dirtier, and they're liking it, right? We're not like living in sin. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Remember those times that grace was extended to you. You wanted to please your parents even more. And as you learn and understand grace more today, I hope that you want to please God even more. The Christian's daily walk, we see, as we think about grace Grace is what God does. And as we think about our purpose and what we do, that being works, the Christian's walk is an obedience of faith. Romans 1, 4-6 says, Jesus Christ our Lord, whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for His name's sake. Romans 16, 25-27 also talks about that, leading to obedience of faith. I've learned about grace. I've learned about God. I've learned about salvation. What do I want to do now? I want to be obedient. Think on this. A faith that does not work lacks credibility. A hope that does not endure lacks reality. A love that does not serve lacks integrity. James 2, 14 through 17 talks about faith without works being dead. If we're to have grace, we have faith that it, that it is what it is, right? We have that faith. But what do we have to do then? We have to have works. It's got to be a part of it. It's got to be that obedience to faith. Living and working for God is one of the great joys of the Christian life. But let's always keep this in mind. I don't work to be saved. I work because I am saved. That's why we do those things. I'm not trying to work my way to heaven by preaching up here, by by being a good Christian. I'm not trying to work my way to heaven. God's already done that. I'm doing this and you do what you do. Because you love God. Because you have faith. Because you want that obedience to faith. I don't work to be saved. I work because I am saved. That's important. That's a very important distinction. There's a third group of people in regards to grace. People who just need it. And that's all of us. For all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. We must all see our sin, we must all see our depravity and our need for a Savior whose blood cleanses us from all of our sins and in so doing, pleasing our Creator. We must accept this gift of God's grace. And so, how do you accept it? What do you do? How, do you, how are you saved? How does that happen? Acts 2, 37 and 38, the question is asked. Men and brethren, what shall we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's Just one of the many passages that talk about what somebody has to do to be saved. This morning, we can help you repent. This morning, we can help you be baptized. And both of those will bring you into contact with the saving grace of Christ's blood. A day of punishment is coming. Like our parents punished us to teach a lesson. But that day of punishment for your spiritual soul is waiting. But you've got to be ready whenever it does come. And I'd like to conclude with 1 Peter 1-2. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. But for that to happen, you have to accept it. Please come forward now as we stand and sing to encourage you.